0: Welcome to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. Happy New Year, everybody, 2017. And my name is Eric Klein. I'm so
1: happy to be here. My name is Paul Reesmondel. And uh, we have the entire Radio Survivor team here for this first episode of 2017. Uh, we have Matthew Lasar joining us via Skype from the great city of San Francisco. Hello, Matthew.
2: Happy 2017. I think
1: (laughs) provisionally and uh, Jennifer Waits also joins us from the city of San Francisco from from another undisclosed location though they are we have to keep them in separate locations just in case (laughs) something should happen we need to you know we don't want to have a designated survivor situation for radio survivor absolutely
3: I'm not I'm not far from Matthew though
1: Shh. No one's <laughs> supposed to know that, but but you're you're in a concrete we, bunker uh, with lots of RF shielding and et cetera. Except when we have lunch. <laughs> yes, that's true. But we don't tell anybody about it. then. But Eric and I are in separate locations. What's on the show today, Paul? <laughs> We got a lot. We, we got have a lot on the show today. Um, we have some news about a college station uh, that may be changing owners. Um, at least that's what the the university and its uh, potential new owner uh, like to think. And um, I'm going to talk a little bit about my vacation. Mm-hmm. And some radio things I learned about, about another country pretty much on the other side of the world. It's New Zealand. You don't have to New keep us in suspense. I'm gonna, I'm, I didn't know you were <laughs> in suspense. And well, I know. Uh, and I follow you on Instagram. I know where you've been. <laughs> and Matthew's going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the great community radio archives he's been uncovering. Um, some really fantastic uh, stuff that's out there now on the internet.
0: Matthew, why are you so excited about these archives?
2: Well, it's a lot of cool music. Um, basically, it's about a lot of community radio stations that are basically downloading all of their um, music stuff, a lot of old um, music stuff that they've got um, onto the internet archives.
0: Yeah, good news for people that love old radio. Looking forward to having that discussion later in the podcast.
1: Yeah, first up, uh, Jennifer. So why don't why don't you set us up here? You know, I mean, what we're talking about, and this is something we've talked about on the show before, the situations in which a college or university sells or gets into an arrangement to sell its station, often to, very frequently to a public radio outfit. So we have another situation here where uh, the station WUMD at the University of Massachusetts Dartmouth uh, announced on Monday, which I think was uh, January 3rd, that it is uh, intends to sell its college station to Rhode Island Public Radio. So why don't you why don't you give us some context first right. for, for kind of understanding uh, this situation? And I guess
0: we should mention right away that it's a breaking news situation and we're reporting on it uh, on uh, January sixth, which is a Friday, and it'll air next week.
1: Yeah,
3: yes, yeah, and it was uh, announced on the fourth. Um, so you know, so I've reported on. I'm, I'm very interested in reporting on college radio and and started writing about college radio because it wasn't really being covered in the media at all. Um, so when when colleges sell their licenses, that's part of college radio news that I definitely like to cover. And after going through the situation of witnessing the sale of the KUSF FM license in San Francisco, um, I, I learned quite a bit about how to navigate FCC databases and learned about the process with filing these sorts of documents. So um, when that sale, proposed sale was announced in 2011, it was sort of my crash course in in learning how to cover this sort of news. So um, when licensed sales have come up since that time, I feel like I have kind of a jump start on, you know, I know where to look. Um, I know the questions to ask. So when I found out a couple days ago that a license was being sold, I immediately knew and was curious about if paperwork had been filed. So I, I think it's important, especially um, since Radio Survivor, we have the background in covering these sorts of stories. I think it's really important to bring out the facts when things like this are announced, because often a lot of media outlets are only reporting on what is in press releases and official statements. Um, So I actually quite enjoy digging into the very specific details, like the purchase agreements and all of the things that probably make a lot of people's eyes glaze over. Um, I actually get a kick out of that. So so on the 4th of January, um, we heard sort of in press release style that University of Massachusetts Dartmouth was planning to sell the license for WUMD-FM to Rhode Island Public Radio. Um, and the next day, paperwork uh, was appeared in the FCC database. So then we were able to learn more details beyond just what was in the press release and what the official spokespeople from both entities had told me about. Um, so that that's sort of the context for it is. I think it's it's important to kind of bring all of the facts to life so that um, people are aware of what's going on behind the scenes.
1: And so, what are some of the facts? So, so we in this particular case, you say you've heard from uh, both uh, the University of Massachusetts at Dartmouth, and you've heard from uh, Rhode Island Public Radio. What what do they have to say about this?
3: Yeah, I mean, for. So uh, for Rhode Island Public Radio, it's an opportunity to expand their coverage area. Um, they actually only own, they only, they only hold two um, radio licenses, one for an FM station and one for an AM station. And some other stations that they broadcast on are through agreements with other, um, with other entities. In fact, it's both, um, both of them are school school-related organizations that are kind of um, brokering airtime for them. So I think they've been on the lookout for a frequency to call their own. Um, and so they approached University of Massachusetts about entering into some sort of arrangement. Um, and so the purchase price is $1.5 million, and there are going to be some other affiliated um parts of the deal that are non-monetary compensations. So there's a promise to university of Massachusetts Dartmouth that they'll have a bunch of underwriting time over the station for a period of 10 years. Um, and then as we've seen in other similar arrangements, there, there are promises of internships for students at Rhode Island, public radio promises of special tours of the station, um, uh promises of guest lectures and things of that nature um and then wumd uh, will be able to retain its call letter branding i guess um and rhode island public radio is going to change the call letters to something else um and wumd will continue to operate its station but it'll be online only um which it's had a streaming radio station for quite some time it's a station that is mostly running music programming as well as some public affairs shows. Um, whereas Rhode Island public radio plans to run a talk format with a lot of syndicated programming um, NPR shows and BBC and other public radio programming um, versus WMD that has a, a wide array of music programming and public affairs programming. And uh, WMD is made up of mostly volunteers. So it's students, alumni, faculty, um, as well as community members. Um, even, even high school students have been part of the station. Um, so that's sort of the gist of it. Um, Rhode Island public radio is also agreeing to help, um, collaborate with WUMD in, um, and working on their stream and their website. And it, I don't totally know the details on that because WUMD has an existing website and stream that they've had for a really long time. Um, but there seems to be a promise that Rhode Island Public Radio will help them amp it up somehow. Um, and they're promising 40 hours of consultation work to help with the website. Um, 40 hours I, total? Yeah, forty hours total uh, within the term period, <laughs> which is ten years. Um, and so initially, I was like, "So that's like four hours a year." But when I asked um, when I asked Rhode Island Public Radio about it, they said, "Well, you know, we anticipate that those forty hours are going to happen, you know, like right after the sale, rather than being spread out because um, that yeah, wouldn't it's make like a, a work week,
1: right? I mean, you know, it that's." typical kind of contract terms in that, in that sort of way. But yeah, I think that's, that sounds like it would be something where you just say, Hey, here's what we we think you need to do and we're going to do it for you. And then we're done.
3: Yeah. So, um, the, um, the folks at WUMD, um, are not able to talk to the press about any of this at this point. So it's also hard to know
1: um, so they've been for, forbidden by the university from talking to the press.
3: Well, I you know, I don't know that specifically, but um they posted WMD posted W this is what they posted. WMD management have been told we are unable to comment on the UMass Dartmouth and W and RIPR deal. Uh please That's what contact it like to me. <laughs> yeah, and so they um they're referring people to the the contact at University of Massachusetts, the press contact, um, who is John um, Hoey, um, the Assistant Chancellor for Strategic Communication, Media Relations, and Special Projects, and he's the one who I've been in contact with already. Um, and what,
1: and what did they have to say? What did what did, what did Mr. Hoey have to say?
3: Oh, um, well, he I mean he gave me further details about um, about the deal, but I. I hadn't realized that <clears throat> the people at the station weren't supposed to talk to the press. So I haven't asked him about that specifically. I'm not sure if that's what you were asking. Um, but he's been, you know, he and my contact at Rhode Island public radio have been very forthcoming and candid and answering my questions. Um, um and, and how he even acknowledged that, um, that people at the station were, not necessarily happy about this. So, um, which is what I would expect, um, uh, because I know that people at the station found out, you know, basically the day that this was announced to the world. Um, so it was, it was not something that they saw coming was not something they were aware of. So I think, you know, my guess is that they're processing, that yeah. they're still processing this information. Yeah. Um,
0: Jennifer, uh, you're, you're telling us that staff at WUMD can't talk. Um, are other people in the community like, uh, the DJs or the listeners saying anything in public?
3: Yeah. Um, you know, there's some stuff on social media where people are expressing sadness, um, you know, including listeners and people who used to be DJs and people who are longtime DJs. Um, and, and some people have reached out to me, telling me that they're they're saddened by the news. Um, <laughs> so I think, I think we might see more. You know, this is still very early into this story, so I'm expecting that we're going to hear more from the people affected in the coming days, maybe by the next podcast.
0: Right, because we have experience uh, with these sorts of stories. Both uh, talking about them on the podcast and you uh, writing about them extensively. So, maybe can you share with the listeners um, the, the timeline that is typical and whether or not knowing those timelines is useful or is it case by case?
3: Oh, yeah. Well, so, so now that paperwork has been filed with the FCC, um, the public has 30 days in which to file. If, if the public is not happy, um, well, I guess if the public is happy, too, the, uh, the public has 30 days in which to file petitions to deny the license assignment application. Um, so when I've covered stories like this in the past, like for KUSF and KTRU and WRVU, um, in all of those instances, people did file petitions to deny. You know, I noticed this with any time a station, a proposed station sale is announced. Um, it's typically announced as if it's a done deal. And I think that's very much the strategy of the people who have entered into the deal is to make it appear that there's nothing people can do. So I, I think it's important for people to know that this is proposed and pending and that it's not, you know, the station has not been sold yet because it requires FCC approval. Um, the, the timing, is interesting because this is being announced while students and faculty are on winter break at University of Massachusetts Dartmouth. Uh, People don't return to campus until I think January 23rd. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, my interpretation is that that was probably intentional. And
0: you said that there's 30 days for them to to organize themselves, if that was, if that, if that was the energy on campus to organize themselves to, to oppose the sale, uh, they'd have to start now. now they have to start (laughs) before people are back on
3: campus. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So I, I just think, you know, those are important pieces to know at this moment and, you know, we'll know more in the coming weeks, but this is kind of how things go is, um, if people are interested in protesting, they, they probably need to get on it rather quickly.
2: <laughs> I have proposed on the pages of Radio Survivor that the, um, that the period in which um, uh, college administrations um, uh, propose uh, to sell the station be extended to more than um, just this relatively brief period to a much longer uh, period, at least four or five months, in which basically they, uh, they, they sell the SEC that they're considering – Selling the station, and then the um, then there's a then there's a there's an open procedure, in which the public gets to uh, gets to respond, and in which uh, the public is alerted that they have an opportunity to respond. In other words, it isn't uh, presented as a done deal over a relatively brief period of time, but there's a longer period for vetting this sort of thing. But of course, um, that doesn't seem like that's going to happen, um, or those kind of changes are going to take place at the FCC anytime soon.
1: That's interesting, Matthew.
3: Yeah, I like that idea. And and some colleges have even done that where they have told their community that they're considering selling their license um, and they've opened it up for community comments before they actually even start entertaining offers. Huh. Um, and, and in some cases, that has led to schools deciding not to pursue selling a license. So it, it's very different than... These sorts of things that are happening completely in private and secrecy and then you know and and the people who are actually working at the station for all this time have no idea it seems rather sad to me
2: yeah i mean basically what you have here is a situation in which it looks like at least it looks like to me they're trying to get this over as quickly as possible you know uh red knuckle their way through whatever anger there is and you know get it out the door
1: you know, it's interesting to me because I think there's actually a public interest case to be made for such a rule change. Uh, and that is because of the fact that the non commercial band is indeed different than the commercial band. So, non commercial stations are treated differently and are expected to operate differently than commercial stations. At the point now where we are in the United States, commercial stations, licenses, new ones, are actually auctioned off, right? They're actually paid for by commercial entities. So the idea that there is uh, basically a market in commercial radio licenses is formally in, in, uh, recognized by the Federal Communications Commission, Which and now it's expected that the uh, federal government can share in those spoils for all intents and purposes, Uh But that is not true for non-commercial licenses. Non-commercial licenses are provided by and large without fee to qualified uh, parties, and having one can make the argument that having a a market like this in non-commercial licenses, which are themselves granted without cost, uh, may not be in the public interest nor maybe may not be in the spirit of the non-commercial service uh, on the FM dial. It, it would be difficult, I think, at this point, not to say we wouldn't want to, to roll back and to put the genie back in the bottle and to uncreate what effectively is a market in uh, non-commercial licenses, but putting a larger window... Yes. on on that comment period and perhaps even placing greater um more obligations on the uh on the parties involved towards to, transparency towards transparency towards uh towards making firm proven declarations of why the changes in the public interest mm. for in, for for example right uh, are possibly defensible i, I mean i unfortunately I have a hard time seeing this being a popular proposal at a trump fcc um and it's not something i think that npr or public radio stations at this point would would support nor would many of the large uh, christian broadcasting groups support but nevertheless it, it is something which uh, possibly could actually be floated could be floated as a proposal because uh, for For folks who aren't aware, um policy proposals can come from the public. It helps if you uh, know somebody familiar with uh, the FCC procedures, a lawyer or an engineer or someone who can help guide it. But in fact, you know it's important to to, to point out that say low power FM began as a proposal that came basically from the general public. Uh, nearly 20 years ago. Loyal
0: loyal listeners to Radio Survivor and readers will know all about it. Uh, tune in every week. <laughs> Speaking of a market for non-commercial stations, how, do we know what the value of this license is at this time?
3: Oh, well, the sale price was $1.5 Is that the question? <laughs> yes. I mean, I don't know if that's the value. Um, right, right, right. But but that's the sale. That's the sale price. It's a willing buyer,
1: willing seller. <laughs> so yeah, situation. one
0: point five million dollars for for the for the University of Massachusetts at Dartmouth.
1: Yeah, and that is for the frequency, right? It's not. They're not buying a physical plant. They're not buying a right. transmitter. They're right. not trying an antenna. They are simply buying essentially the license, which is to otherwise granted on. right uh, for free by the federal government. Mm.
3: Yeah, because they hope to move the transmitter. Um, there is some indication if. Um, if they want to keep using the University of Massachusetts Dartmouth transmitter site as a backup, then they would pay them an additional rental fee for that. But the hope is to actually move the transmitter to Rhode Island.
0: Yeah, which is across the across the bay there when I was looking at the map earlier. And it's interesting that in this case, the um, the studios of WUMD that that the college uh, utilizes to make radio, and uh, both for uh, on-campus volunteers and off-campus community members, that that's going to stay intact. They're not going to lose at least the physical space, which which is part of a tragedy that we've reported on in the past where stations are lost and then everything that went into that station physically, all the files, all of the the music library, everything, all um, the kinds of stuff that you love.
3: Yeah. I mean, typically um, stations get to keep their space. At KUSF, it was sort of a confluence of things where the university was really desperate for space. And so in addition to KUSF losing their license, they also lost their space. But they lost their space to the university right. who, but it's who still, took it back. To it's still a community it,
0: station where you know filing cabinets that that might be valuable archives of what the station history meant to everybody involved but those are the only copies
3: right yeah anytime i think there's a station move i certainly worry as a radio nerd and historian i worry about all the stuff that's not going to fit into the new space or you know if the station is completely dismantled right I always wonder about what happened to the stuff.
0: I feel like you've told us about dumpsters that have been um undumpstered, that, that a concerned citizen goes to the dumpster outside the community station after the, the closing or the sale and uh, turns that dumpster's worth oh. of stuff into an archive.
3: And I think it's an ongoing thing. And it even got mentioned at the Radio Preservation Task Force conference at the Library of Congress. Um, there, there was even sort of uh, mention of these heroic engineers and radio fans that have preserved things from dumpsters. So I think, you know, luckily that happens where people get tipped off and and people who care about such things often will go and rescue. Um, and in fact, at KUSF, the top floor of their old space was full of stuff that had been donated from other stations too. They had um, LPs that you know, another station i gotten rid of. And I think the engineer at KUSF is like, oh, I'll take them. And so there's all kinds of cool stuff there that wasn't even KUSFs.
2: Community so, radio, tales from the dumpster. I know. <laughs> I think that that's somebody's
1: next book, <laughs> Matthew. <laughs> you're the <laughs> author here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, uh, so Jennifer, you will uh, continue to dig in and find out more, and and maybe you know start to answer some questions as to whether there were any precursors any signs any signs of trouble or or other other things that might have presaged this action as well as maybe learn more about what uh, current station staff and listeners are going to do
3: yeah and I, I definitely invite um, people to contact us because I would like to hear from people who occur who are currently at the station and listeners um, you know because at this point I really just have sort of the official, uh, the official word from the official p- spokespeople. So it'd be great to get more voices love How sh-
0: to hear from listeners. How should they contact you, Jennifer?
3: Oh, you can contact uh, me at Jennifer at radiosurvivor.com.
0: And uh, you just, I, I talked over you, Paul, when you said you'd love to hear from listeners.
1: Yeah. I'd love to hear from listeners in particular. I think, you know, um, you know, we're all radio people here, and we know lots of people who are on the air. We know a lot of DJs, and we know a lot of producers and staff, yeah. in station staff. Certainly, that's a lot of who listen to this show. But I, I also want to make sure that we that the voice of the listener is heard, because you know that that ostensibly is why we do all of this <laughs> is for communities and for the people in communities who are listening. So certainly, if you are a listener uh, to the station WUMD, or maybe you know somebody. Um, prompt them to drop us a line you can certainly email jennifer directly you can email us at podcast yeah. at radiosurvivor.com we have a facebook page where you can certainly communicate with us that way or you can tweet at us uh all radio survivor on all those platforms on the articles yeah
0: and uh yeah but even if you are a w umd listener from the past yeah even if it wasn't this decade that you heard that station and enjoyed its Programming. Share your know.
1: memories, share your thoughts. We'd, we'd love to hear from you. And of course, that's about anything we talk about here on the show. But in, in this particular case, of course, uh, you know, any feedback you can provide um, is wonderful because, you know, the work that Jennifer has done here, um, covering college radio in this way, digging into stories um, as they come along and staying with them longitudinally has helped to, I think, create a corpus of information about college radio that's pretty much unparalleled and especially unparalleled in the major day. And and the more people who participate in this creation, the richer it is um, and the better of an archive we have uh, for the future. And maybe we, we always hope there's a little bit of um, information to help uh, future college radio broadcasters as well. Uh, we, we provide tips and, and provide uh, things that they can look out for to learn from from the past. Um, We're going to switch gears here into something uh, maybe a little more fun uh, because I had an opportunity to go to New Zealand uh, for my holidays um, here at the end of the year where it was summer as opposed to winter as it is here in the Uh. northern hemisphere. And – Um, as part of that, (laughs) I got to dig into radio a little bit. Um, now we went there because I have, we have friends there and my wife has a cousin who's currently living in New Zealand. So we had folks to stay with, spend extra time with. Um, and, and while I was there, it was a pretty packed schedule, but I did try to tune into the radio and try to learn a little bit more about the radio. And I, I, found, uh, most of my free time in the city of Christchurch which is on the South Island. So New Zealand is made up of a North Island and South Island. And New Zealand's biggest major city, Auckland, is at the north end of the North Island. And it's about 1.5 million people. It's about a third of the population in total lives in, in the Auckland area. Christchurch is a much smaller city, about 300,000 people. Um, about, three years ago, three, about four years ago, it was wracked by devastating earthquakes. Mm. So much of the city is actually being rebuilt. Huh. As we speak, but it's it's for a long time. It's a university town um, as the University of Canterbury there. Uh, the region is called Canterbury. Um, so it's very, been a very place of very active culture. You know, and, and having a university there um, often is a bedrock, both in sort of science and and in uh, and in, in art and, and other expressions. Surrounded by suburbs or surrounded by countryside? Um yeah, surrounded by small suburbs, but very quickly in the countryside. And the thing about New Zealand is that it's a very beautiful country. Um, there's a lot of what they would call bush, which is forest. And it's very hilly, uh, and many of the hills and mountains are actually volcanoes. There's a lot of active volcanoes, a lot of active geothermal activity going on, depending on where you are. Um, Obviously, there is a lot of active. uh, There's earthquakes as well, um, as part of its sort of uh, part of its uh, geography. Um, I just simply had some. It's the Ring of Fire. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. but I you know I, I, I was I started looking in a little bit to community radio and to college radio in New Zealand and both exist. Mm-hmm. So there's both community radio and college radio. And in fact there's a university in Auckland which has had a college station going back to the 70s and it's very well respected. I would say it's a, it's a lot like a KEXP here mm. in, in uh in the United States in Seattle and that it's uh looked at as a um it's pretty much like the uh, a tastemaker for sort of a new and alternative music in New Zealand. So it's a very big participant uh, in the music scene there.
3: Which station is that again?
1: Uh, the station is called 95B, often just called BFM. Um, and it is there uh, in the main city of Auckland. Um, and it's, it's very popular. Um, I actually saw a, uh, uh, I went to the Auckland Museum and they had an exhibit all about New Zealand popular music from the 50s, Present and so they actually had one part of the exhibit was about the radio station and about how pivotal it was in sort of promoting um, independent uh, music in New Zealand, especially beginning in the seventies. So it's there in the University of Auckland.
0: So do we have a situation cool. that's a little bit like the BBC, or do we have a situation that's more like the United States?
1: I mean, it's a mix. So it's, it's, it's a bit like, uh, like radio is in, in Australia, maybe a little bit like Canada. So there is, there is, radio, there is uh, radio New Zealand, right? So it is, there is Government a state broadcaster. Yeah, state yeah broadcast. but in the BBC mold, right? You know, um, As a news and information as well as cultural service. But there's a lot of commercial radio. Because
0: um, I've learned from you guys that in, in the United Kingdom where we have the, the state-sponsored radio, there's a lot less community radio uh, historically. And did I misspeak, Matthew?
2: Well, the United Kingdom right now is is, is licensing community radio stations as a, at a breakneck pace. I was not following this. Um, I'm not following this this year as much as I was um, last year and the year before. But it was like um, a new license for a community radio station every two weeks in the United Kingdom, all up and down um, um, the whole island. So yeah. I think that right now they've got a great record of that.
0: And then— uh, in New Zealand and Australia, I've sort of lumped them in with the United Kingdom yeah, and, 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 unfairly. And, 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 and
2: Australia, has, Australia, has, a long Australia long history. Has, has a huge, has a huge community radio scene, which I'm going to talk about in a little while. Yeah.
1: Oh,
0: right. That's also awesome yeah. on today's yeah. podcast. Yeah. I mean,
1: it? sort of. You know what what had happened with most countries outside of the uh, the United States and Canada, especially Western Europe and other English speaking countries, is that state sponsored broadcasting was the broadcasting. And somewhere, depending on the, on the country, somewhere in the 60s or 70s, uh, they began opening up to private broadcasting. In, in the UK, one of the primary motivators was pirate radio, which, uh, right. which, which forced the hand of government regulators there to begin licensing uh, private radio stations. Same thing in New Zealand. Uh, the very first commercial radio station in New Zealand went on the air in 1966. It's called Radio Haraki, but it started as an offshore pirate.
0: Right. And one of the things I've also learned from this podcast is the argument can be made that a pirate station is just a community radio station uh, looking to be loved. Like it <laughs> it, it wants to exist. Uh, it wants to exist legally. And when it can't exist legally, it's
1: going to go pirate. There are communities that want these stations. Oh, in many ways. I mean, that that, that was a motivator for commercial radio in the UK and in, in New Zealand and ostensibly other places, and was also part of the pressure that created low power FM in the United States. Um, um,
2: the, the United Kingdom, by the way, um, now has this whole has this whole PR campaign against pirate radio stations, which they're basically saying we're licensing so many community radio stations. Um, that you don't need pirate radio anymore they're especially doing this in certain boroughs of london where there are just huge numbers of pirate radio stations there's also an interesting development uh, developments elsewhere like for example in haiti um there are all of these pirate radio stations that the um haitian government is trying to legalize at this point is trying to hmm. basically map them out figure out exactly where they are and what they cover and just legalize them Sure. Uh, Already, And it's, it's it's a really nice development that they're trying to do that. They're just basically recognizing that these radio stations already exist. I mean, which is sort of different than the United States' approach, which is, you know, you start a pirate radio station, we'll, we'll never give you a license. It's just so there. Um, so I think that it, it, it's really healthy what's going on in Haiti.
1: So what's fascinating about New Zealand is, in fact, that they have a – Totally authorized, unlicensed broadcasting regime. So they actually have a kind of middle ground there for uh, small scale stations to pop up and be on the air without. Seeking a license at all. Between pirate and commercial, there's a middle ground. Yeah, or, or pirate and, and community. Right. Or pirate, you know, pirate basically between pirate and license, Right. So they have a set aside at the, at the far right end of the dial and at the far left end of the dial, sets of frequencies which are open for anyone to use, provided that they follow the rules. And the rules are, are pretty straightforward and simple. They can use a maximum of one watt of power. Um, they, if you operate, you may not operate, uh, more than two stations that are broadcasting the same program, okay. but you can still have two. Yeah. In, in <laughs> the, in the same, like 25 generous. kilometer, like uh, radius. Yeah. Right. Um, media so,
2: consolidation. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> pirate. I mean, they're not pirates. You're supposed pirates. to, you have to broadcast your lo- your contact details, not your location, but you have to broadcast a way that people can contact you every hour. A phone number or an email. Phone number, email. And it's very vague about what it is. It's just cool. contact details. Dig a hole yeah. under this tree. We'll, we'll, we'll read those messages. <laughs> kind of exactly. And then as well, I mean, there's a field strength limit. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that at, at, at a, a certain distance, in this case, 100 meters from your transmitter, this, the signal can be no stronger than a certain level. Sure. And the idea is that a really clever engineer can take a one-watt transmitter and design an antenna system that might be directional that will sort of exaggerate the power of – of the station, so the idea is that no everyone there should be kind of an even playing field. Mm-hmm. So at that hundred meter, and that could be any any you know radius from that transmitter, the power could be no greater than that. That's the same way in which uh, part fifteen is, is uh, regulating in the United States on the FM dial. If you have one of those so little tiny like 200, transmitters.
2: 200 feet or 63 meters or something like that, right? It's it's a shorter amount of distance, Yeah, it's right? 10
1: meters, I think, actually, or 15 meters. Um, I, I, don't call me because I All don't know All of these
0: the- rules remind me like of Kachung.
1: Yeah, well it is. Exactly. Um, except the that doesn't apply to the AM band in, in the US. It only applies to the FM band, the field strength. Ah right. Kachung was an AM station that we talked
0: about right. a but, few episodes ago on the So podcast. basically,
1: even if you uh, so basically in the FM dial in the US, it's not how much power you have, it's how far your signal goes. Right. Right. Which you know, and so in New Zealand they sort of regulate both. But if you if you qualify you could do that. And the interesting thing is there's you can bet a transmitter from anywhere. It's up to you to just make sure that your transmitter meets these specs and that your antenna system meets these specs. But in the U.S., for instance, if you're going to have a transmitter for a license station, you have to buy something called a type-accepted transmitter. It's one that has been formally approved by the FCC for use on the FM dial. In New Zealand, if you're doing it on, in, the, uh, in the set-asides, uh, it can be any transmitter that you buy on eBay or you build yourself even. Uh, there are some other requirements with regard to interference, uh, meaning that uh, a transmitter poorly designed can send out frequencies besides the one that you're intending to broadcast on. So those have to be uh, muted. Um, you're not supposed to have a lot of power on those extra frequencies. They're called spurs most of the time. Mm-hmm. But besides from that, if you can engineer it, you can put it on the air. And the interesting thing, of course, is that anyone can do it. Um, and so the, it could be you could have 40 stations. <laughs> Sure. Hey, didn't, All competing.
0: How did you find out about these sorts of stations? Didn't you stumble upon it? Yeah, I
1: sort of stumbled upon it. I was uh, at the beach uh, on the edge of Christchurch uh, on Sumner Beach. And I went to uh, sort of a beachside stand that's selling fish and chips and ice cream. And there's a teenager behind, the, uh, behind there doling things out. And he's got a T-shirt that says, Rotten Radio. 107.7 FM, uh, Littleton, which is a suburb of Christchurch, with a funny picture on it. And I said, hey, what is this rotten radio? And he goes, oh, it's, it's a radio station. You should listen to it. Yeah. And I'm like, well, what kind of station? He goes, "He goes, it's a great one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which is – and then and, and, and I – It's you all know, the endorsement Paul My, my order was put in, and, and <laughs> I immediately – you know, then. And it did was, you
3: book the tour right then and there?
1: <laughs> well, so it, so it's really busy. So I, I step away and I immediately pull out my phone. Right, and I, I had myself a New Zealand SIM card, so I data and I could go ahead and start looking it up. And all I find is a Facebook page, no contact details. Mm. That dimly t- that that seems. Uh, only sort of updated every so often. Because you thought you were going to find a community
0: or mm-hmm. college station yeah. or a com- even a commercial station. Perhaps. Yeah, right. Yeah. I
1: wasn't sure exactly what I would find. <laughs> I love it. And, um, and you know, with the, just the barest of, of, of information. And This sounds like almost every um,
2: third world radio station that I've been researching <laughs> um, exactly. um, for, for Radio Survivor for years where, you know, you, you're so excited about this radio station. You go out and you find some Facebook page, um, and it's really hard to figure out who's in charge or what's going on, but you know that this radio station is out there and they're doing all of this really interesting thing stuff on the air, um, for their community. And you can't figure out much about it.
1: Well, it, it's kind of a punk rock
3: station. It's true in the U.S. too, Matthew. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer, I think
1: Jennifer who is, can, can attest to that. Um, but this – Rotten Radio is a punk rock station for all intents and purposes. I don't know if it's 24-7. There's no obligation to be 24-7. Oh. Certainly mentioned uh, one of the posts on their Facebook page uh, said that they were fundraising – to uh, To get their internet stream up and running, so there's no internet stream. I did find a few archive broadcasts on Mixcloud that I tuned into, and it definitely reminded me of late night college radio. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: You know, so that they're joking around, they're playing a lot of punk rock. Uh, One show I listened to, the setup was that they were interviewing the janitor, who was telling them all about the great records he finds in the garbage. And then that's he was awesome. playing them, right? But it's clearly a setup. They're just goofing <laughs> around. Um, but it was, it, it sounded, you know, it was cute. It was funny. And it sounded a lot like sort of, you know, late night college radio might sound. Um, but, you know, in researching the frequency, I learned that, oh, it's one of the frequencies that's set aside for these sorts of stations. And that there are these stations all over the country. Um, now, I was unable to tune any in. Um, I was. Because you didn't have a car. Because I didn't have a car. Uh, so I couldn't. It was hard for me to sort of get around and possibly search for where the station might be. And of course, car receivers are usually pretty sensitive and they have nice antennas usually. So in addition to being mobile, you have all that extra apparatus. It makes it easy to, to go signal finding. I had a little portable radio. I, could ride, I brought a bicycle so I could ride around a little bit. But Littleton uh, in particular is kind of far from where I was staying. So it would have been a, a pretty big hike. And the weather turned bad. <laughs> as well. It got rainy and cold. uh, So I wasn't uh, on my vacation feeling like making that bike ride. So I was unable to find that particular station. I learned that there's stations all over the country and it's sort of, it's just kind of a good neighbor policy. It's like everybody be cool and let's not interfere with each other. Gosh.
0: So here we are again in a situation sitting here loving radio and there's, there's radio stations out there in this case now in New Zealand that are just doing amazing, eclectic, fascinating stuff, and where only people in New Zealand can hear it. It's not so, on the internet. Some
1: stations are have internet okay. presence. oh yeah. boy. Yeah. So there's like an association, a uh, coalition of like New Zealand low power broadcasters that mm-hmm. attempts to both uh, advocate for these broadcasters oh, how nice. as well as uh, occasionally mediate interference. Uh, arguments. Wow.
0: So that's more than the low power FM community even has here in the United well, States. Well, no, we
1: have that. It's called the FCC. Well, okay, but, <laughs> but not with the – yes, yes. With, as far as who <laughs> competes
0: with what signal. Yeah, but the yeah. other thing that they do where they create community ties –
1: well, I don't know if they create community ties. Okay. I don't wanna I don't wanna to, to imply that they're, just dreaming. that they're more active than they are, but their intention is to to sort of be, you know, in, in the same way that a Prometheus radio project advocates or common frequency advocate for low power FM here in the US. Uh, this group wants to advocate for this brand of low power FM in New Zealand. And then also, right, be there in case uh you have stations who are interfering with each other to help them, you know, mediate and figure out a best way for them to proceed. And I learned of only two situations in which uh, that they have listed on their website, at the very least, in which they've stepped in to help uh, oh, okay. to help mediate a situation and deal with some some interference complaints. So, I mean, that was just it was that was sort of a really fun discovery, and and um, I really do want to go back. And there, I mean, obviously, lots of parts of New Zealand I didn't get to visit. I mean, I'm particularly interested in visiting Wellington, which is the capital, and also not a big university town, and another big cultural center, because I'm certain there's got to be a lot of these stations there, and I'd like to sort of find a way to uh, to make. A part of my plan to get out, um, even if I rent a car for a day to uh to drive around Wellington and 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 figure out uh where some of these stations are, or maybe do some uh, like Jennifer does, do some actual spelunking and yeah, investigation ahead of time. Scans.
0: Oh, okay, not just band scan, but to uh, actually well, tour a yeah. station.
1: I mean, I did a band scan of the New Zealand dial in, in Christchurch. Um, I did not find any of the uh, of the low power stations, but I did find some interesting radio stations. So, uh, like we've done with some of Jennifer's band scans, we'll go ahead and include that at the end of the show. Oh yeah, let's just let it roll. We'll just let it roll, I and love so it. you get a sense for uh, what the uh, radio dial, the FM radio dial, at the very least, uh, sound like in uh, Christchurch, New Zealand. And I mean, since we're in that part of the world, the what is often called Australasia. Um, we can have uh, Matthew talk a little bit because you've been digging in a bit to other uh, community radio down under in the adjoining uh, continent and country of Australia. Well, I,
2: I've i been writing for Radio Survivor about Australian community radio a lot. One of the things I've been doing recently, I got I started getting interested in what was available in terms of radio on the Internet Archive because when I wrote my book about Internet Radio, I started using the Internet Archive to... Um, uh, look at the websites of internet radio stations uh, at the beginning, and sort of tracking year after year how those websites change ah, for all yes. these interesting venues. So, like, you know, what did Last FM look like? Um, uh, as a you know, as a music sharing system, uh, you know when it got started. What did it look like a year later? What did NPR look like online circa 2000? Things like that. Ah, I you're really, using
0: the Wayback
2: Machine. I was using the Wayback Machine. That's right. And one of the things I noticed about the Internet Archive is that it's got tons of radio content. You know all that dumpster stuff we were talking about from the backs of community radio stations. A mm-hmm. lot of that has found its way to the Internet Archive. Um, and if you type in just on search, just in search, you know, their search mechanism, community radio or low power FM or radio folio or things like that, you find all kinds of old radio mm. shows from the 70s and the 80s, all kinds of um, community radio, you know, monthly folios, all this great stuff. And I just got sort of into looking around at what was available that would be fun to listen to and that's still a, that, that's still around. One of the things I found was um, the one of the biggest and most famous community radio stations, Australia, 3CR, which is Melbourne's 40-year-old um, hallowed community radio station, put out a fundraising um, uh, gift thing to buy um, for one of their marathons um, about – I guess about 12 years ago, mm-hmm. um, around 2004 – and it was a, a a book and a record called "Wild About You," a tribute to the Australian underground. And what they did was is that they uncovered all of these old um, Australian garage bands from the 1960s, most of which are at least I mean I never even heard of them. You know, bands like the Throb, the Missing Link, all of these sort of underground garage bands from this period. And they got new. Um, new artists to um uh to do covers of these shows of these of these um these their music their their big hits from the 1960s and they put that all into a great big anthology with a book and they sold it to their listeners for contributions and then that was you know that was um back in back in like 2002 or 2003 then 2004, after they had finished doing that for a while, they uploaded it all to the Internet Archive, and you can just listen to all of these um, bands do these old um, garage band um, covers of these old Australian garage band hits from the 1960s. So, bands, The Throb, The Moods,
4: When they say I'm
2: no it's no lie. The Tall putter Puddle Martyrs. You
4: better stop. Don't look and listen. It's coming down fast and it's no life chance. You better stop. Look and listen. It's coming down fast and it's
2: green crab. Um, the Chimney Sweeps. Um, the Creatures. These are all bands from the 60s and now they're being... Covered by contemporary bands like the Drones, the Mistaken, and the Lords of Gravity, and um, the Stabs. There's a band called the Stabs um, down there, and it's all available on the um, Internet Archive. And I've got an article on it on Radio Survivor, and I shows you how you can go to the site. You can and you can download all the tunes, and they're really um, it's really great stuff, and it's all free on the Internet Archives. I've also um, did something about. Um, another band that's uh, whose music a lot of its music is available on the Internet Archives, thanks to um, KXCI in Arizona, which is a community radio's public community radio station in, in Arizona. Which um, uh, they got a bunch of concerts from uh, a, a, a venue that no longer exists from Phoenix called the Mason Jar, which is a really big venue um, for a really long time, and you can listen to a whole lot of tunes by one of my. Favorite bands, the Meat Puppets. I don't know if any of you are Meat Puppet fans um, over here. They were sort of a interesting band. They kind of, I don't know, their sound sort of sounds like a sort of a punk, the Talking Heads, and the Grateful Dead. Yeah. If, All- if
0: people don't mind, I will declare that the thing that the make that the Meat Puppets have done that makes them the most famous is that Nirvana covered two of their songs on their unplugged set that got turned into an album. Uh, I think immediately following Kurt Cobain's death, and uh, the Meat Puppets band w- uh, played on those songs during that live concert that turned into that iconic uh, last Nirvana album in many ways. So th- that's that's how Meat Puppets might be the most well-known.
2: well known. Um, well, if you go to the Internet Archive or you go to my article on Radio Survivor. Um, uh that whole concert this a whole mason jar concert of the meat puppets is completely available on um, base the note somebody just and it's it, it it it's really like the sort of dumpster uncovered stuff that's the wonderful. notes to it the notes to it say this material is taken from a cassette presumably from the band simply titled meat puppets live <laughs> it was given to community radio kxci Tucson Tucson quote for airplay use unfortunately the cassettes eventually suffered from for numerous years in a literal pile of other cassettes in storage that's storage um uh before being recovered this is what it is rough as is soundboard of live meat puppets just as meat puppets 2 was being released Um, so I'm just, I'm on a tear about this stuff. I'm just going to go through, um, and find out, find everything that's available. I mean, it's, it's, the sound is really good. If you download it, it's really good quality sound. Um, the the digitization is really fine. And I'm just going to find all of this free, as much of this free stuff as I can from community radio stations from the 1960s, 70s, 80s, and 90s and see how it's been, been regurgitated. On, on the Internet Archive.
0: I just want now, I'm going to ask Paul to help me digitize all of my community radio
1: mixtapes that's put them that's on what the I've archive. As I wrote uh, maybe a month ago, I'm in that process myself, going through my cassette archive and, and digitizing them uh, bit by bit. You know, I was just in the Goodwill the other day and saw two cassette decks. So I'm just... Uh,
0: there's they no are guarantee obtainable. they
1: work when you buy them from Goodwill, <laughs> and
0: the price is going up here in Portland. I don't know.
1: <laughs> yes, but uh, Matthew, I mean, I mean that is just fantastic. So I guess can we look forward to a series we can call Lazar's Picks? kind of like
2: Lassar uh, les, lesar, dumpster pick <laughs> um it should be um, <laughs> for, from 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 the from the community radio years um we need to get um, someone
1: to illustrate this yeah, i really like, want the cartoon
0: of you it, picking things and it should out of the be dumpster. the opposite of the flaming dumpster
3: picking the tape out of the dumpster this is
0: yeah. the like, yes. long like of it. the, the sunbeam shining down on the dumpster that's like, right like the pot of gold the rainbow uh at the end of the pot of gold this is the the dumpster the dumpster at the end of the rainbow where our uh, radio uh, archives
2: go. Related to this is um, the fact, I mean, somewhat related to this, is the fact that Columbia University has recently um, acquired um, the opus of Bob Fass, um, legendary uh, uh, freeform radio host of WBAI in new york city and it, columbia university has recently acquired its huge opus and did a fundraising campaign is going to digitize a whole lot of FASS um stuff um, and um you know m- much of that much of that material has been in um shall we say neglect um over the years so this is a this is a great great news and in honor of that i've also um posted something i found on the internet Archive. Du- Bob Fass is reporting from Chicago on August twenty seventh, 1968, um, um, live from the Democratic National Convention of 1968, which is available on the internet. And why is
1: that a momentous uh, Democratic National Convention for folks who uh, might not have been alive then? Yeah.
2: The Democratic National Convention of 1968 was the convention at which um, there was a pitched, literally a f- physical pitched battle on um, outside of the convention over the Vietnam War and over Lyndon Johnson's um, support for the Vietnam War, um, you know, and in which um, protesters were protesting um, the um, likely nomination of Hubert Humphrey, Johnson's um, um, heir apparent who um, became the likely candidate for the Democratic um, Party um, presidential nomination after um, – after Johnson declined to run, um, in 1968. So there was a huge riot, um, and, um, basically it was a police riot against the demonstrators, um, um, through that, through, uh, through those, um, to those terrible days in August of 1968. And Bob Fass was there covering the entire thing. You know, there's lots and lots of tapes of him basically, um, standing there as the police are attacking protesters in lincoln park um and elsewhere and he's covering it live much of it was phoned into wbai and now it's all being digitized and um it's thrilling radio i've transcribed some of um fast's reporting from august 27th after two days of the police basically physically attacking not only demonstrators but photographers and journalists um and um 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 so this is bob fast basically covering this whole thing live after it's been um, after it's been happening for approximately 48 hours
0: it's really interesting to think about that archive of those recordings um holding them up against uh what's going on these days with live streams from similar protests police riots and and other uh street events like it's sort of the 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 granddaddy of it all, perhaps.
2: I'd re- you know I'd really like you to just hear Fass in his own words, um, describe, uh, you know, summarize the carnage that had taken place over the previous um, forty eight hours that he had been there um, live at the Democratic National Convention. Uh, let
4: me just say a few words first. Um, In the uh, action last night, I just got a report from some people on the medical committee that there were 40 people who were so seriously injured that they might have died if they hadn't received medical attention. Um, 14, at least 14 reporters uh, on Chicago and national newspapers were injured by the police last night, some very seriously. uh, A number of them were hospitalized, some of them had broken limbs, and many of them had cameras Uh, I myself uh, spoke
0: to somebody who uh, was attacked by police shouting get the photographer get the photographer so that's archival tape of Bob Fass reporting live from the the protests outside of Democratic National
1: Convention 1968 in Chicago uh, Matthew, I hope you'll keep uh, digging to uncover these, these lost gems before they get turned into diamonds uh, underneath all of the uh, detritus. Diamonds are okay. <laughs> detritus. When they
0: get turned into dust. <laughs>
1: into dust in the, in the detritus of the, uh, of the metaphorical dumpster. Uh, what we, we'd love for you to continue to present those to us, both uh, at com and here on the podcast.
2: I will. And um, let's all support um, the Internet Archive, which is doing such great stuff.
1: In terms, be, here,
2: being, here. Be, in, in terms of being, in terms of being a, you know, a venue for all of this wonderful material.
0: Yeah, here, here we could, we could just do Internet Archive podcasts from here to Kingdom Come. Mm-hmm. And we should probably, we should speak to them sometime. I would love to. I've reached out to them in my radio life mm-hmm. a lot,
1: and they were shy. Uh, 10 years ago. Let's see if they've changed their minds. Well, yeah, they continue to grow. It's wonderful. Um, So thank you, uh, Matthew. Thank you, Jennifer, for uh, bringing us your reportage on WUMD. We look forward to hearing more facts as you uncover more things about uh, this station sale. And uh, thank you everyone for listening. Um, We do want to ask you, um, to go ahead and support us, if you will. Um, it really helps out when you contribute to our Patreon campaign. We have a lot of uh, supporters, and thank you to everyone who's stepped forward. But if you can spare even just a dollar or two a month um, that you can contribute to this effort, to the website, and to the podcast, we really appreciate it. Go to patreon.com, dot com slash Radio Survivor. I think in this particular case, I'm going to make the pitch. To support uh,
0: Jennifer Waits's reporting on on college radio, mm-hmm. because Jennifer hinted at this at the beginning of our podcast today, that uh, no one else is doing reporting on the world of college radio the way that it deserves. And a lot of times, when any reporting does happen, say in the in the case of a sale that may or may not be controversial, the only reporting that does end up in the newspaper is pretty much what was in. Uh, one of the party's uh, press releases, the one that had the money to hire public relations professionals to write the press releases. And Jennifer is here to do the reporting, uh, dare I say, for a lot of the people that don't have the money to hire public relations peoples. And so that, that sort of work, uh, it, it doesn't happen in a vacuum.
1: No, no. And it doesn't, it doesn't happen without support in one way, shape or form. And when it's not supported, it often disappears it not doesn't happen because of all. lack of interest, yeah. but because, you know, real people are doing this work and they need to find time in their lives, uh, often away from other things or to do it. So any help yeah. you can give is really appreciated. Uh, go to patreoncom slash radio survivor. If you, um, can't quite make that, that monthly commitment. Anything you can contribute is great. We have other ways to do that. Go to radiosurvivor.com slash support. And uh, we would love to hear from you. So any you have any comments, questions, uh, know someone we should be talking to, drop us a line at podcast at yeah. radiosurvivor.com. And coming up next week... Uh, we will hear from Professor Christopher Terry from the University of Minnesota, who's uh, going to try and help us understand what may be happening at the FCC with the new incoming Trump administration. Mm. So yeah, if you appreciate, nice. yeah, <laughs> dun dun dun.
0: If you appreciate the work uh, and you and you don't have uh, money that you can spare to support the work, uh, sharing it is very valuable and helps a lot, you know, mention the work on to your social media friends, mention the work to your friends at a coffee shop. Uh, you know, you don't have to only communicate via Twitter and Facebook, but you know, those, those are certainly platforms that, that many people communicate with many other people on. We appreciate, we appreciate the word. So yeah, tell people about radio survivor. All right. Well,
1: thanks again, Jennifer. Thanks again, Matthew. Thank you, Eric. And Great thank to be you, here. Listeners. And, uh, You'll hear from us in one more week. And now we're going to magically transport oh, yeah. you. <laughs> band scan, band scan. To New Zealand. Can we come
3: with you right now? To <laughs> <New Zealand? laughs>
1: all, all go to New Zealand in our minds. <laughs> Yay. Thanks, everybody. Hi, this is Paul. I'm here in Christchurch, New Zealand on Wednesday, the 28th of December, 2016 and I thought I would do a band scan. We'll go up and down the FM band here in Christchurch. And New Zealand has both commercial and public broadcasting, and there's quite a bit of commercial radio. So in many ways, the radio dial, uh, as I've been listening to it, sounds a lot like American radio, although it seems as though there's uh, fewer very strictly formatted stations. Um, there, I've heard classic rock and some hip-hop, but a lot of stations seem to play some mix of uh, contemporary kind of hip-hop music as well as older music. Um, and people tune in to what they like in a particular mix. So I'm doing this here on my little portable travel radio that I like to bring with me when I travel, especially overseas. It's a Kaito, K-A-I-T-O-W-R-X WRX It's a little bit smaller than a paperback book. It has shortwave AM and FM radio. We're just going to do the FM dial here in Christchurch so we're starting to left into the dial right around 88 this is an analog radio so i won't necessarily be able to call out very specific frequencies as we go through but we'll start tuning up the dial one thing i was hoping i would find is some of new zealand's low power unlicensed stations and they're allowed to operate pretty much below 88 on the FM dial and above 107 on the FM dial so like 88.1 and below and 1071 um and above but i don't know there are any there in an the immediate neighborhood where i'm staying i probably would need a car radio to actually go f- go find them because they broadcast cast with 1 watt of power which is more than what you're allowed to do with a, without a license in the United States, but still isn't actually a ton of power. So unfortunately, I've been unable to tune one in. Otherwise, we might be able to hear one right here. We're starting an idiot. Grab
4: some KFC before you head to the beach this summer.
1: Yes, there's KFC everywhere in the world. This is like a pop music station, right around 90 on the FM dial. Some classical music. This is about 91 on the FM dial Right around 92 As you can hear, it's summer here in the southern hemisphere. And there's obviously a station that's playing music from 90s, which I guess is the high school time of its target audience, all the way up to contemporary hits, playing 10 in a row. I noticed that New Zealand commercial stations tend to play fewer commercials uh, in any given hour. Uh, they tend to also have fewer in a stop set, fewer commercials back to back. So it's a lot more music per hour. That may, in fact, be regulated into something I don't actually know and haven't looked into yet. So we'll start moving past 921 up the dial.
4: The traditional timber does. For exclusive ModWood deals, hit a one-stop deck shop on Iverson and Terrace. Do your part for the environment. Tell them Richie sent you. Yeah. One-stop deck shop. The Sound weather, brought to you by Mitre 10 Mega, the latest outdoor furniture and barbecues in store now.
2: The outlook for your Wednesday evening for the North Island, cloudy with patchy drizzle in the north. That should clear tonight, but it's spreading south for the rest of the North Island for tomorrow. South Island, cloudy but mainly fine today. Just some drizzle in parts of Otago and Southland. That's spreading
4: to Canterbury and Marlborough this evening and clearing through tomorrow. Novus Auto Glass. You know to ask your insurer. Novas. Well, if you've been stuck back at work after a four-day long weekend today, it's time to head home as we get into another long set. My name's Kieran
2: in the Nova Studios on the sound with a stack of great music lined up here. Spencer Davis Group, Santana, and Billy Idol all to come in the next 15 minutes. But let's get it going with Bob Seger and the
4: Silver Bullet Band on the sound.
1: Yes, I've listened to the station a bit. The sound is mostly classic rock. And it's uh, nationwide. As you can hear, they're giving a weather forecast from North Island. Uh, which is the more populous island, and then the South Island, which is uh, here where uh, Christchurch is in Canterbury, which you heard mentioned in that weather forecast. Every time I don't know what this song is, but I've heard it many, many, many times on my trip here in New Zealand. It might indeed be a local artist.
0: It's
1: a Michael Jackson, popular the world over. So we're about 96.1 FM. Reggae is pretty popular here in general. They're both uh, indigenous New Zealand reggae acts as well as uh, you hear uh, Bob Marley pretty much everywhere. Bus in the brave, the Brighton Catholic School went past and the old double decker bus. Fabulous. It sounds like they're calling a parade. What about ninety seven ninety-eight FM? Indeed, it sounds like they're calling a Christmas parade. We are now here though, uh, three days girls, after did Christmas. You
4: enjoy the parade? Yes. What yeah. did you like most? I'm guessing it might be lollies. <laughs> wow, weren't they amazing? Did you see the gymnastics girls? Yes. yes. Can you do stuff like that? No. no. I can only do cartwheels. Oh, that's pretty good. I'm impressed with that. Hi guys, did you guys enjoy the parade? Yeah, it was really cool. What did you like most? Um, probably the vintage cars. Yeah, I drove the boat Santa. The Santa? Yeah, he came on the boat. Did you see him on the beach? No. how you arrived on the beach, you know. Oh, but, he's a... <laughs> <laughs> but he lives in the North Pole. I know, it's a long way to come, isn't it? Especially by boat. No, he, he takes his sleigh. Alright, oh, well you probably know more than me. Yeah. Enjoy the rest of your day here. Hi there, what was your favorite thing about the parade today? <laughs>
1: okay, I could listen to this all day, but we're gonna we're gonna keep scanning forward from about 9798 FM. Remember this is analog radio I'm using. <laughs> this is some prints. About 100 FM now.
4: People get into drugs. New Zealand has one of the highest drug uh, use rates. We are a wash with, with drugs. We've got uh, methamphetamine coming out out of our ears in New Zealand. So the Hollywood stars who can well afford all this sort of thing, and the stressful lifestyle, and the... I don't know what it is, but why do so many showbiz people you hear about? Oh, they died of drugs. Prince. George Michael, um, no suggestion at the moment that he died of drugs, but um, certainly he checked last year into an exclusive drug rehab uh, clinic in Switzerland, and he was looking awful. He was looking emaciated. He was looking shocking. Uh, David Bowie. I'm not saying all these died of drugs, but I'm saying they had uh, drug histories. David Bowie. Amy Winehouse.
1: So some talk radio here. I don't know if this is... uh... um, commercial or if this is public radio.
4: songs were great. Doesn't mean. 打傳主們,把錢給翻了。那這就是當時登塔建設從投資到收益的一個整體的邏輯。那麼他們的建設燈塔的成績怎麼樣? language programming在到
1: located relatively close to Asia, there's a lot of folks from East Asia, here in, in New Zealand.
4: Kia ora and welcome to episode 3 of From Zero. I'm Russell Brown. In this episode, we'll survey the presence of drugs in popular culture, film, TV, music and magazines. It's all over American
3: TV, from Breaking Bad to HBO's current comedy about the New York weed dealer, High Maintenance. And New Zealand creators are no different. We'll discover that while you can depict drug taking before the TV watershed and slip cocaine references into Top 40 radio, the wrong kind of gardening tips will still get you banned in 2016. Just a warning: there is some language in this episode that you may find offensive. Centuries of literature are.
1: So that's probably Radio New Zealand, the uh, public broadcaster.
4: Have long been murmurings, for there example, about, about Shakespeare's Sonnet 76. FM. He came to give it
1: to you you think what you do Is what you're doing like And there ain't no shortcuts Just doing something right
4: If you knew what to do And then you want
1: to love you You'll wait for one fine day That's Maurice around 103.5 more distant station here around 107 and we're now at 108 not much there so that is the FM dial here in Christchurch New Zealand on the South Island here in Canterbury on the 28th of December 2016 as you can hear uh, it's a pretty dense dial there's quite a few stations here on the FM dial with uh, a fair variety of music, although you'll see that pop music is, is pretty well represented. Thanks for listening.